All right, so we're finishing the series, like I said. And today, the title of the message is called, Am I Generous? Now, I wanted to start kind of with this, are you generous, right? Because that's like, I wanted to talk to you. But then the Lord started to, to work on me and say, hey, 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 what about you? You know, what about you? Are you, are you generous? Because I think that is such an important question that we ask. It is, is that on a regular basis, we need to be asking this question is, am I, am I generous? Uh, Because here's the answer I know often, and that is sometimes I am, right? And sometimes I'm not. And, and that seems to be most people's experience. But my hope and prayer as your pastor is that at some point we start to consider that because God is the most generous God, that somehow that should reflect in our lives in such a way that it goes out to the world from us. Is that making sense? And so so as we see God do what he does, we then do it in the world. And I believe that God is generous, and I believe he wants us to be generous. And and I know that even when I talk about these things, sometimes people's walls go up. But but I, I, I just hope and pray today that you would allow this message to penetrate your heart at whatever level the Lord wants because I fundamentally believe it's going to help you. I really do. And it's going to lead you down a path that you really want, uh, even if you don't know it yet. Even if you don't know it yet. Promise. And so if you'll put some faith in that, I believe that God's going to help you. This morning I want to start in John. The Gospel of John, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. So if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find it. Uh, But I want to start here in chapter 12 of John. And I'm going to be starting in verse 1. Let me read this to you. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who he had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. You get the picture. So it's after Passover. They're sitting there having a meal. Lazarus is there. Mary's there, which we're about to find out. Then in verse 3, Then Mary took a pound of, look at this, very costly oil, and it was called what? Spikenard. Come on. Is that not the greatest? I mean, that's a pretty good name. Spikenard. I think some of you should name your first son that. Spikenard. And we'll call him Spike. Wouldn't that be? Come on, guys. Wake up. Wake up. All right. So Mary took this pound of this very costly oil. And Spikenard was a very expensive thing. And it says it anointed Jesus' feet. And he wiped his feet with her hair. Her hair. That's curious, isn't it? See, in the Old Testament... A woman's hair uh, was considered her glory. That's why a lot of women had long hair. And it was this idea that there was something glorious about it. Isn't that powerful? She's wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this oil. It was a very strong fragrance. Verse 4, but, but one of his disciples, Judas, you heard of this guy, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Seems like a relevant question, doesn't it? Verse 6, then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but he was a thief. He had the money box and, and he used it. He used to take things out of it. 
You see the picture. Verse 7, but, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And so Jesus, like he often does, takes something that's very common and normal and, and, and does something amazing with it. And he talks about how this is uh, a moment, like it's one of those moments. And he's describing this moment for them. Very powerful story. And I think as you look at the story, you see two individuals besides Jesus. That's Mary, right? And a guy named Judas. Now, we'll talk about Lazarus in a second. But today, just for now, I want to focus on Mary and Judas. Uh, if you know those stories, uh, Judas is kind of not considered a good guy in the Bible. You know, no one names their kid Judas. Right? Is there anybody named Judas in here? Normally, that's not a name, or you know what I mean? Like, most people don't name their kid Bathsheba. And you know what I'm getting at? And so, so sometimes they, there are names that, that, that are so associated with the negative that they don't end up translating into history. And, 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 and so what you see is Mary, who has this amazing ability to be extravagant towards her Lord. She's just, I mean, she's willing to lay it on the line. She's willing to, to, to put this oil that is so costly. I mean, this, this particular spice, only you could only find it in like the Himalayas. So imagine where that is geographically from where the ancient Near East was. I mean, it, it's a long way off. So it's very costly. So much so that the Bible says that, that it literally would be sold for 300 denarii, which, which is a year's wages. A year's wages is being, you see the extravagance of Mary. And in, in some ways, it begs the question, why? Why is she so extravagant? And then you see Judas, who, who asks this question. And I actually think that this question is more familiar to us than we really know. But that he asks this question, he says, hey, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you take that, that, that oil and sell it and give it to the poor? That seems like a very noble thing to say, isn't it? Right? I mean, that seems like a reasonable thing to, to say. Is Why didn't you take that money and do something of value with it? And yet, yet in this, this passage of Scripture, Jesus affirms her, affirms the behavior that she has. And I think that's what we need to see, is that for some reason, Jesus is affirming that. Now, this is, this is what I know, is that when we're born, we're born with this kind of mentality that it's mine. You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to teach kids about mine, right? That's mine. And, and if you've ever seen the movie Nemo, Finding Nemo, there was those birds that would fly around and they would say, mine, 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 right? You remember. Some of you, you're like, I've never seen it. Well, it's, it's a good movie, I guess. Oh, if you have kids, you've probably seen it. But it's like, mine, 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 mine. And, and what the Bible teaches is that that's how we start. And God so much wants us to grow up. You know what growing up looks like? It's that we put away the mind stuff. Is that we actually become selfless and not more selfish. Is that we actually, we actually take that stuff out of our life. We begin to pull it out of our life. But it, it just seems to stick, doesn't it? It seems that, that I've ran into lots of people, and I even see it in my own heart sometimes, is my selfishness. 
is that I'm just focused on myself and what I want. And God is saying, hey, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. God hopes that we grow out of it. And he, matter of fact, he goes a step further and doesn't just say, I hope you grow out of it. He comes back at us and he looks at us eye to eye, right? Can you imagine God looking at you eye to eye? And he says, hey, listen up. The tithe, it's mine. Like, right? You're like, oh, right? He's looking at you. It's mine. And, and there's a reason. Because he's trying to break the selfishness in our lives. He is putting us to the test so that we will be able to become more like Jesus. Because, I mean, who wants to sign up and at 80 get to the end of their life and say, you know, at their funeral, they're like, you know, he was a miser. He, 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 was, he was greedy, right? Who wants that at their, in their obituary? You know, nobody, nobody wants that. Everybody wants to be seen as generous, right? Everybody wants to be seen as something that just adds value and life. We don't want to be talked about as greedy, but here's the thing. If we don't do anything about it, if we don't actually put into practice what God has said, if we don't take the tithe that's his and do something with it that he tells us to do, then what happens is we continue to live in this selfish place. Now, I know that that isn't like your favorite message. You know, you don't, you don't enjoy sometimes with the preacher's giving it to you like that. But I just, I just want to say to you, the only reason I do this is because I care. Like, I really do want you to experience the blessed life. But in order to do that, you have to do it God's way. It's not your way. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. And that's why we need God to lead us and guide us so that we can then put it into practice. Because, see, here's the reality is we only have two choices. We either bring the tithe to the house of God, which is the church, or we steal it. Those are the two choices we have. And I know that that's hard to sometimes uh, uh, get a hold of, but, but this selfishness is so rooted into the human heart that if we don't do this, it will never get broken off of our lives. And so Judas asks a very reasonable question. Why didn't you take that oil and sell it and then take that money and give it to the poor? Right? Seems like a reasonable question. Maybe you've even asked that before. Maybe you've, maybe you've considered that. Maybe you've looked at the church and said, why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? I can't believe they did that and they should have done this. And, and, and sometimes I think it's an important question. But the thing is, is that it's not as common that we're asking that question with the right motive. Is that actually there's some other motive deep down there that we don't know about. And we think that we're being so righteous. But there's actually something else going on. And that, I want to look at that. I want to examine that just a little bit. Because, see, I think that, that, that we make the same statement oftentimes. That we, we, we actually are more like Judas than we know. I heard this story the other day about a pastor. These two pastors, they were driving along in a car, and they, 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 they were going through a neighborhood, and they came to this house that was a really big house, right? And one of the preachers said to the preacher driving, he said, hey, man, that is a big house. And he said, if they took the money that they spent on that house, right, sold it, then they could really help the poor. And the pastor that was driving felt like it, it was his opportunity, you know, to give him just a little feedback. You know what I mean? 
And so he says to him, you don't care about the poor. Like, that's where he starts, right? Whoa, hey, I thought we were friends. You don't care about the poor. I mean, you don't even know what these people do with their money. And the pastor said, you know what? Those people are in my church. And I can guarantee you, they give more than you can even think. And he, and he, and he continues and he says, if, if you cared so much about the poor, why don't you sell your own house and give it to them? And this guy's like, oh. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he said, that's the same spirit. That's the Judas spirit. He's like, that's what that is. He's working that boy over. And sometimes I think we look at people and we say this and that extravagance and that, and we don't even know the story. We don't even know the person. We don't even know what they've done. I see that a lot with people that are maybe a little more popular than me that sell books and, you know, in the Christian community. I don't even have a book yet, but, you know, hey, maybe I'll get one. Come on. But, but my point is, is that, that, that we look at people and we make these accusations and we don't even know. We don't even know. And there's this, I think there's this, this, this spirit that comes on us that, that we think we're being so righteous, but in the end, we're just jealous you know we're just we're just looking at it the wrong way because the reality is is our heart isn't right our heart's not right at all and and, and so what i've found is is that we look at other people's extravagance and then in our lives as we grow and become more and maybe we even make a little more money and you know we get whatever it is the extravagance uh, meter always changes for us but it doesn't change for them. So, so in other words, we justify it, right? So we spend here. We're like, and maybe 20 years ago, we would have never bought that thing. That was extravagant. But then, then we get a little more cash, and extravagant has moved. You, you with me? It's moved, and so it's relative in our life, but it's a standard in someone else's. I just think that there's something here that we all need to see. If you notice here in this story, Judas uh, was the keeper of the money box. You see that? He was the keeper. So, so it was a traveling ministry. Jesus was going out into the world and, and people were blessing the ministry and that money would then go into the box. Make sense? And so Judas held the box. Isn't that kind of curious? So Judas held the box and the Bible says that he didn't do a very good job. He was taking things out of the box, right? And putting it in his pocket or doing other things with it. And yet this is the same guy that's saying, you should have sold that and given it to the poor. Imagine, imagine it, it, as we get to the end of our service and we receive the offering, right? Somebody in our church takes the offering into the back room or wherever they go, right? Into our safe because it's an old bank. We just put them right in the safe. Some of you guys didn't even know this was an old bank, but there's actually a safe in there. It's pretty cool. You should see it. Um, but you have to get through security to get there. Um, but where was I? 
Yeah, yeah, good, good. So, so, <laughs> so, so he goes out, or she goes out into this room, and instead of counting all the bills, they take a few bills, and they put them in their pocket. Can you imagine that? Like, what would you think of that person if they did that? How could you steal from God? I mean, how could you steal from the house of the Lord? Who does that? What kind of person can do that? Right? That's what, that's what would come over us. I mean, I think that's a reasonable response. And, and Matthew says that, that Judas was a thief because he did that. And then you go back to Malachi. What does it say in Malachi? I preached on this earlier in the series. It says that when we don't take the tithe to the house of the Lord, it says that we're robbing God. Here, can you see it? Are you starting to see it? Is it that, that in some ways we act the same way? How could you do that? And yet that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in our finances. We're not, we're not giving to God what is God's. And we're simply stealing it and taking it. And I know that that is not comfortable to hear. <laughs> I know that the preacher saying that is your part of you. It's like, I don't want to ever come back to this place. I don't like him. He's mean. <laughs> and I get it. I'm not mean. I promise. I really do care about you. But I can't pull this back. Like, I just, I just have to tell you what's there. And I hope today that you can receive that. Because I believe that if you will, it's a game changer. Because see, I want you to be blessed. Like I want everybody in this church to be blessed. But in order to do that, you have to do it God's way. You have to do it God's way. Did you notice that not only was Judas the keeper of the box, but that someone gave him the box? Who is the person that gave Judas the box? Well, it was the head of the ministry. His name was Jesus. And so Jesus gave Judas the box. Do you think Judas or Jesus knew that Judas might, might do something bad with it? Do you think he had any idea that maybe, just maybe Judas was the guy? Well, the Bible's very clear that God is sovereign. He knows stuff, right? He knows everything. And so when, when Jesus gave Judas the box, it was very clear to Jesus what Judas had the capacity to do. But was that, was that, 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 that somehow Jesus was setting him up? Like he was setting him up to fail? No, 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 no. Jesus was giving Judas an opportunity. He was giving him an opportunity to break the curse off of his life. He was giving him the opportunity to pass and not fail. Now we all have that option. We all have the opportunity. When God says it's mine, what do we do? Do we say, well, uh, you know, that's nice for you, uh, but uh, that's not what I believe about the Bible. Okay. You have freedom. Do whatever you want. But if you want it done, if you want God's way, you do it his way. And that's what we're trying to understand is that God doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to pass. And he's sitting it right here and he's saying, look, I've been clear, son. I've been clear, daughter. You know what, it's mean. you know what it means to live in the kingdom of God? You know what it means to be a son or a daughter of the most high God? You know. 
Now do it. You can do it. I'm with you. Come on. Put your faith and your trust in me. And, and, and it's right there in that moment that we have a choice. We have a choice. And you know what's so beautiful about that? And we don't get this theologically often. The very fact that you have a choice means that God loves you. Because see, if there's no choice, there's no love. So you actually have a choice to love him and worship him. You can choose that. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant that God even allowed that to happen because he knew our capacity. He knew how selfish we could be. And he loved us that much. Okay, I got to move on. But I want to read this passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Listen to this. such a beautiful thing. In verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also, look at this, make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What is he saying? The Bible is very clearly saying that this test in front of you, you have the capacity to pass. Like God is helping you. Well, he's not going to put you in a situation that you can't pass. And so some of you are in some really hard situations right now. And I'm just telling you, God has not left you or forsaken you. He's with you, whether it's in your finances or in some addiction, whether it's in your finances over there or over here or some relationship, God is for you. He's with you and he's helping you if you'll simply allow it. And so so the enemy of generosity is selfishness. But I want to look a little bit deeper into into this. And, and, And I believe this, number two, is that the extravagance. I want to look at the extravagance of generosity because I think that's what we see in Mary. You see this beautiful picture of somebody who was willing to do what she did. And again, I said earlier that one denarii was like a day's wage. You add 300 and it gets to almost a year's wage with, you know, time off, vacations, celebrations, you know, you get it, right? And so it's, a, it's about a year's wage. And so in our context, maybe it would be like the minimum wage, okay? And, 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 and that changes with the economy, making sense. And so, so, so it, it was adjusted, but this was, this was something that was a significant amount of money for someone. And so as you look at this, as you look at the extravagance of what Mary was doing, her bringing this oil to Jesus' feet, I wonder, what what would we do if God asked us to give a year's wage to the church? (laughs) What what would you do? How, How would you respond? Would that be a significant offering? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what you make. That's a significant offering that, that, that somehow would be, it would really put you in this place of thinking. You know, if you did it, the fear would come over you, right? Yeah, and it would really, here's the thing. Do you think that if you did, it would impress God? It won't, I promise. It's not going to impress God. But I do know something that will. I know something that will actually impress God because when we do this, the Bible very clearly says God gets excited about it. I want to read it to you. It's in 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Look at this. And not only as we hoped, had hoped, 
But they look at this. First, remember this? I did a whole, ser- a whole sermon on the principle of first and how important that is to God, that God wants to be first. But he says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. <laughs> they gave themselves first to the Lord. What happens sometimes in our life is we try to apply the principles of God before we have the relationship with God. And we end up failing. We fail the test because we don't have the power. It's through the relationship that I have the ability to pass the test that come my way. And so first, offering ourselves to God is critical. And the Bible says that God gets excited about that. There's some language that kind of talks about like God twirls a little bit. Isn't that crazy to think about? That God wants that relationship with you. And it's so powerful and it's so important if we ever hope to have this in our lives. Because look, this is not another self-help guide. It's not. This is not financial peace, right? And financial peace is great. Follow the rules. It'll help you because they're based on biblical principles. But if you don't get the heart stuff right, you can make all the plans you want. But you know how it works. You say, hey, we're going to have this and we're going to do this. And then the next thing you know, you're not doing it. Yeah. And it gets to a place where it really, really, you're not able to achieve what you want to achieve. And the reality is it's because you don't have the relationship that you need. And that's through Jesus. And so God gets excited. But did you know in the Bible, there are really three ways that we're encouraged to give. The first is, the first is through the tithe. I've been talking a lot about that. The next is offerings. And then finally, extravagant offerings. These are the three ways that, that the Bible talks about offerings and giving and all of that. And, and what's so important is that we see this because we can't then say, well, I didn't know, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you can't leave today and say, I did not know, unless right now you're putting your fingers in your ear and going blah, 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 blah. Because that's what some of us like to do. But, but you can't, because here, I'm going to give it to you. What is a tithe? A tithe is a 10%. It's 10% of your income. Now, what some people say, well, is, is, that, is that on the net or the gross? Right? Isn't that like us? Right? It's like, it's like with sin. You know, how close can I get, Jesus? How close? Huh? Because that's what we do. You know, we're always trying to push the limit. You know, do you, is it the tithe or the gross? Here, this is the way I answer tithe or gross. Do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? Because see, that's what the Bible says. It's on what you give that you are blessed. So, so you choose. That's up to you. I'll let you make that choice. But it, there's nothing uncertain about the tenth. There's nothing uncertain about that. And matter of fact, the tithe is never intended to be a designated gift. It's intended to go to the house to be used for the house. It's not intended to be designated. You know what designated gifts typically can be? It's a covert way of us controlling where that money goes. And the tithe is, once again, God's. And then he says, you do whatever you want with the rest of it. See, that's what's important. That's important we see that because I think sometimes we want to designate things. And God's like, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I, I want to share this with you because I think this is important. A lot of people don't know this, but, but did you know that only 5 to 7% of Christians 
say they tithe? That's what the data indicates. Five to seven percent. <laughs> that should make us go, huh? Because if that's, if that's the starting point, if that's where God wants us to start, that's kind of a big deal, isn't it? I mean, that means that 93 to 95% of Christians never get past the first level. They never get past the first level. And you're like, wait a second. Yeah, that's a big deal because if you don't get past the first level, then the other things don't come to pass in your life. Is that making sense? And so, so, so this is something you need to know. That, that absolutely, you start with the tithe, what will happen is you'll begin to become generous in your offerings. You'll eventually become an extravagant giver. Those things are natural to come. You know why? Because the tithe breaks the curse off of your life. And once the curse is broke off your life, the Bible says that the windows of heaven open up and they flood down the blessings at a level that you can't contain. I mean, shoot. I didn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. So why is it? What is it? What is it that keeps us from stepping into that? Because God wants to help us. He wants to see these things break off. He wants to see the heavens open up. And I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. I want to end with this. I've talked about the enemy of generosity and the extravagance of generosity as we've looked at Mary and just a, a beautiful story of how she... She was so generous to her Lord. But then finally, I'll end with this, is the reward of generosity. This is important. See, extravagance seems to always bother non-tithers. People who don't tithe look at extravagance and they think, well, that's excessive. And they ask the question, or they say, we should have sold that money and given it to the poor. Now, I know that I'm picking on Judas a little bit. Don't you think he deserves it? I mean, just saying. I'm just kidding. You guys are like, well, I don't know. I mean, theologically. <laughs> but, but, but I just think there's something powerful about the fact that Jesus says no to this and yes to this. He looks at this woman's extravagance and says, that is the better thing. And he, and he, and he talks about how she's going to be seen in the future. And I, and I want to look at that a little bit more. But, but it's so important that we see that Judas was a thief. And Mary was not. She was not. Why do you think Mary gave such an extravagant gift? Two months earlier, she has a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus got sick and he died. And they wondered where Jesus was. They even asked him to come. And the Bible even says that he got there and in the King James it says he stinketh. He was so dead. God shows up, Jesus shows up, and he raises Lazarus to life. Do you think Mary, do you think Mary had something to celebrate? Do you think Mary had anything in her mind at that moment that Jesus was sitting down? Did you think there was anything coming out of her that was a place of just enormous gratitude? 
her brother. Whew. Let's just put that on you. Put that on you. Is what if, what if somebody in your life had that experience? What if a family member or, or a friend or if, if that happened in your life, would it be hard for you to give to Jesus what is his? No, you'd be like, yeah, I'm all in. Well, before you answer, before you answer, remember that the Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions. All of us were dead in our transgressions. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he beat death. And when we accept him into our life, we beat death too. And so we are then resurrected into a new person. And so if we're just going to answer the question based on what Jesus has done, you get my point. Is that, of course I'm going to do it. I'll break open whatever perfume I got. Because it's his. It's all his. He did everything for me. Why wouldn't I? Here's my hair. See? See, that's, that's what's happening here. It's a beautiful thing. It's not intended to make you feel bad. It's intended to point you to the relationship. Because it's there that it all happens. It's there that everything begins to unlock. This woman, Mary, had a reason, had a reason to be happy, to be blessed, to be excited about it. And my hope and prayer for you as well is that you'll begin to see that in your own life because, man, we forget that we were in the same place. And sometimes we get so far away from it that we forget that, man, he did everything for me. What? Lord, whatever, it's yours. Take it. I think there's something so powerful. Because see, as you, as you get to the end of the story, you go over to the book of Mark. Well, you go over to the book of Mark. And it's a parallel passage. And so in the Gospels, a lot of times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell similar stories. And sometimes they add nuances that maybe weren't in that book you were in. And so in Mark, there's this beautiful statement about this woman named Mary who did what she did. Look at this. In Mark 14, 9, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Think about that. <laughs> she had no idea. She's just simply in the room with Jesus who had helped her brother and she's like, get the best stuff. She cracks open the big bottle. She pours it on his feet. She's wiping it with her hair. Not at all wondering what she's going to get in return. And yet God, in all of his infinite wisdom, says, if you do it my way, you will receive rewards. Isn't that beautiful? And so I'm literally in 2000 and what, 19? Is that where we are? 2019, I'm talking about this woman. I am sharing the testimony of this woman. She has been living on in history because of what she did. She is a memorial, a testimony to, to how God is. Isn't that powerful? That was her reward and she didn't even know. She didn't even know. All she wanted was be with Jesus and give him everything she got. Everything she had, she wanted to make sure because see, if you give with the right heart, 
God will reward you. And you know what? I'm sorry. I can't do anything about it. I can't. He's God. He says he'll do it. Isn't that powerful? I just love the fact that that he's going to do what he says he'll do. And that's what he wants for you and for me. As we we come to the end here, uh, I heard a story recently that I felt like, man, i got to share this with you. So uh, Pastor Morris, who wrote this book, shared this story about a guy who literally has figured this out in his life. And I wanted us to have an experience of him sharing the story because he tells it much better than I can. All right, and so let's watch. So one time, Steve and Melody, Steve had paid all the bills and got down to the bottom of his um, checkbook. Now, you need to know that Steve owned a company for many years and now works with our business ministry and and sold his company and uh, made millions of dollars and gave millions of dollars away. Matter of fact, for 15 years, he gave 50% of his income to the kingdom. So uh, God had blessed him tremendously financially. So one day, he's adding up, he pays his bills, and he looks at the amount that's left over in his checking account, and he thought, God, you have been so good to me. And then he just thought, I wonder how much cash I have. And he had no debt, no mortgage, no, no company debt, no debt at all. So he went to his savings account, and he took that number and added it to his checking balance. And then he went to his, an investment account that he had, and he added that to the other two, and then he went to his retirement account, and he added all four numbers, and he had a, a very, very large number. And uh, he went to bed. Next morning, he got up, and he was having his quiet time. The Lord said to him, how much money do you have? And he said, my first thought was, I knew I shouldn't have added that up. <laughs> and he'd heard my testimony about giving everything away, and he thought, I wonder if God's ever going to ask me to do that. And here was this time where he knew exactly how much he had. So the Lord said, how much money do you have? And he said, what do you mean, God? I mean, do you mean like in my wallet? You mean how much do I have in my wallet? The Lord said, how much money do you have? He said, what do you mean? You mean like in my checking account? What do you mean? The Lord said, how much money do you have? He was saying to him, you know what I mean. You know exactly how much you have. You added it up last night. So he said, well, Lord... I have this much money. And the Lord said to him, would you give it to me? Now, he said, my first thought was fear. That was my first thought. And that's what the enemy will do. He said, but my second thought was, the Lord asked me. He asked me. And he said, yes, yes, Lord, I would love to do this. So he and Melody gave everything away everything they had, all the cash, everything. By the end of the next calendar business year, so longer than 12 months, it was the rest of that year and then another calendar business year. He's having his quiet time one day, and the Lord said to him, hey, go add up those four accounts. And he said, it's okay. It's all right. I'm good. I, I trust you. It's good. And the Lord said to him, no, no, it's, it's all right. Just trust me. Go, go look at him. And he went and looked at all four accounts. Now get this. In just a little over a year later, all four accounts had more than twice as much in every account. And God said, what took you 15 years to do? I did it in one year. As your pastor, I want our church to be full of generous people. I want our church to be full of tithers and people who are generous with the things of God. Why? 
Because we need to pay the light bill? No. God can grow that guy's account like this. It ain't about that. It's about that we become more like Jesus. That we become the very people that God wants us to be. And my heart for you and for anybody that is a member of this church or wants to be associated with this church is that that's the kind of people we'll be. That we'll press in because see, you get it. Like when you put it into practice, you start to see it. You think, wow, if we went away from 5 to 7% and went to 95%, do you see how that is a game changer for the kingdom? I mean, people, <laughs> that would be powerful, wouldn't it? The lives that could be changed, the poor who could be helped. With me, all of those things could happen. I have a bigger vision than our budget. Because we serve a God who is much bigger than our current budget. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to continue to be as generous as you are and continue to be more and do all that God has for you. But I do want to, I do want to pray with you as we end. And so could you, could you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I thank you for the fact that your word is true. I know that there are people in this room right now that are kind of on the fence they're struggling a little bit to believe what was said. And I just want to encourage you that this is a step of faith. It's not just a step of practicalness. And so sometimes it doesn't always make sense in the natural, but in the spiritual, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And so if you're on the fence right now and you're just like, I really want to take this step, I want to pray for you. If that's you, I, I just want to pray for you. God, I pray right now for anybody in this room that is making a decision about putting you first in their finances or putting you first in their relationship or putting you first in their work or putting you first in some other area, God, wherever that is, wherever the Holy Spirit is stirring right now, God, I just pray that you would help them right now that the power of God would be released in their life as they turn that over to you and if that's you just say Lord I, I need your help I receive it right now I receive it I need your help help me God I love you but I want to show you I love you so God would you help them right now earlier in the message I shared a little bit about God being generous. And the way that I did is I talked about Jesus being his son who came into this world on our behalf. And so the Bible says that he sent him, he, he, he gave him to us. And so you may be here today and you've never put Jesus first in your life. You've never entered into that story or that relationship. And I tell you, as a pastor, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you're, you're, you're wanting to take that step of faith and enter into that relationship with Jesus who loves you, if, that, if that's you, hear these words. Jesus was born as a baby, grew into a man, went to a cross, died a brutal death for you.
because he loves you. And as a result of that, he was taken off the cross, put in a grave, and the Bible says three days later, beat death, beat sin, so that you might have victory in your life. And I wonder today if you want that. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that these things are true, that he'll come in. And so right now, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to do something on the count of three, if that's you. If you're ready to take a step of faith, I just want to encourage you on the count of three that you just raise your hand up. Now, I'm not going to point you out or I'm not going to have you come down front. I just want to pray for you right where you are. But I do want to see your hand. And so right now, on the count of three, if you're ready to take that step, lift it up. One, two, three. Go ahead. Good. Good, good. God bless you. Good job. Good job. Anybody else? Today's your day. Don't wait. Good, good. Okay. All right, church. We're all going to pray together this prayer. No one's praying alone in here. And so if you did raise your hand, you, you can repeat this prayer. Uh, but, but church, let's do this together. Lord Jesus, I, I need you. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be Lord of my life? I surrender to you today. Will you change me from the inside out? Will you give me purpose and meaning? I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate those that were making decisions today? It's such a glorious thing.